All right, we'll go ahead and get started. I know we're running a little bit behind, um, but we'll just kind of let people trickle in as they get finished with their other session. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Um, I know it's early Saturday morning, um, so props to you for being here, especially in a youth session. I know how difficult that is. Um, I'm 26, but I still consider myself a youth, and mornings are not my friend. Uh, but I think mornings will be your friend this morning because you are blessed to have Corey Sawyers, um, who... I don't know of very many other people. I said this about Dan. Dan and Corey both have been major influences in my life as a spiritual being, um, as a spiritual person. And, and as I've grown uh, closer to God in my relationship, I owe a lot of that to uh, Corey Sawyers. Um, when I graduated here, I moved to West Tennessee, which I've never been to Tennessee before. So that's kind of a leap of faith. Uh, and Corey took me into his own home. Uh, and I was living in his basement there. It was a finished basement, so not kind of like a basement dwelling situation. Uh, finished basement, beautiful area. Um, but I got to be part of Corey's family for the better part of six months. Uh, and it was such a blessing um, to be with him, to experience ministry with him. He would take me on all sorts of visits. Uh, I can't speak enough of Corey. Uh, very few people can say that they work together and live together. Um, and I'm grateful that our relationship is still good because sometimes that'll really quickly dissolve a relationship uh, when you're working and living together. Um, Corey is a world famous barbecue smoker. Um, he's a great cook. He's a great man of God. He's a great student of God's word. Uh, and he continues to be a student of God's word, which is another uh, seldom trait that we find in ministers. Typically, ministers will plateau somewhere in their studies, and Corey just continues to push forward and learn more about God's Word. And I can't tell you how many phone calls I've had where Corey calls me up and says, hey, have you seen this in the text? And no, I haven't. Um, so very cool. Uh, some quick introductory material. Corey holds a Bachelor of Biblical Studies from Bear Valley. Um, what year did he graduate? 2014. In 2014. Uh, he is currently enrolled in the master's degree program, and you only have just a couple more classes before you're done with that. So Corey will have his master's here shortly. Um, he has three sons, one of which is here with us, uh, Garrett Sawyers, and then he's got Gordon and Gannon, um, both of which are back in Tennessee. And then he's been married to his lovely wife, Melody, for, well, 25 years. Yeah, just last week uh, or this week. Uh, so without me rambling anymore, um, without me trying to get choked up or anything, uh, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Sam, who will have a prayer. Uh, and then Parker LaGrange, who will go ahead and lead us in a verse of a song. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad you're awake. Um, I, I expect people to fall asleep while I'm preaching, but not before I actually start preaching. So that's why they have a coffee pot set up in the back, just in case it becomes a struggle. Uh, I am glad you're here. Uh, this is a uh, an interesting topic, and I'll tell you beforehand, this is uh, typically when I preach, I like to get into a text and stay in one text and just work our way through that text. But occasionally you have to have these, these studies where you kind of look at things topically. And uh, it was now two years ago that Brett came into my office as we were planning then the 2020 uh, lectureship, and he said, hey, we need a guy, we've got a topic on miracles, and, and we need a guy that can connect to young people and hold their attention, who uh, can handle this topic uh, scripturally and, and, uh, and be sound to what the Word says, and, uh, and they can do a good job in a youth session. And I said, Tyler King. 
And he said, no, we were thinking maybe you. And I said, Tyler King. <laughs> and I could not convince him, Tyler, to get you. But, uh, but I appreciate Brett asking me to do this. And I appreciate the kind words from uh, Tyler. Um, Brett and I have been joking this morning that we're smoking buddies. Uh, and a lot of eyebrows just went like that. We like to smoke meat. And uh, so we we uh, uh, it's been a pleasure of mine to be in ministry with him and to work with him and and Tyler is one that Melody and I consider an adopted son so appreciate him and love him very much. The question that's the title of our topic today is one that at first glance you may look at it and say, well, that's an easy answer. In fact, some of my former classmates and students that as they've trickled in over the weekend, they're like, when are you preaching? What are you preaching on? And I would tell them, they'd say, well, that's an easy answer. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought when I started studying it. And the more you get into something like a lot of things, the more you learn about God's Word that you didn't even realize. And and as you think about this question, there's a couple of ground rules that I think we need to establish first. Uh, first of all, pretty much every Bible question, or maybe better said Bible answers, can be divided into three categories. First of all, there are things that I know. Those are things that I can book chapter and verse and take you to Scripture and say, here is what God says. Okay, And you may not like what it says, or I may not like what it says. We may not agree with it, but uh, that doesn't change what it says. Like Dan Owen said, on Thursday night, you know, we have to accept when the Bible says this, when God says this or that, that's the way it is, okay? So there's some things that I know in Scripture. And then secondly, there's some things that I don't know. There's some things that the Bible just doesn't address, that this doesn't give us all the information. And, and that's not a, a slam against the Bible. It's because those are things we just really don't need, okay? Now, sometimes those are fun things to talk about. And sometimes, you know, among mature Christians, we can sit down and say, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about this? But ultimately, what we're talking about is things that we really have no idea about because God didn't tell us. Okay, So when you think about this category, um, those of you in the room that are ministers and youth ministers, and those of you in the room that are going to be ministers and youth ministers, make sure that you understand that number two is okay. It's okay not to know. And it's okay to tell young people, I don't know. And we do more damage to young people's faith when we try to preach our opinion or teach our opinion to them and say, here's the way it is. Well, how do you know that? Because this is the way it is. My, my, my least favorite one is, what well, is a slippery slope? You know, that kind of thing. And I'm not saying things can't lead us in the wrong direction, but I'm saying whenever they hear that from us and then they go into God's Word and say, well... That's not what that verse says. That's not really in there. Then suddenly we've shattered their faith in all of God's Word. So it's okay to say, I don't know. And you're going to hear that a couple of times today during this lesson, okay? And then the third category is things that I think. And this is different from number two in that number two are things the Bible doesn't say anything about and, and I'm just guessing, okay? Number three, this category is things where the Bible doesn't come out and blatantly or plainly say something, but there are some principles or some examples that I can draw from and, and say, 
you know, I, I'm not sure that's the way it is, but it seems to me like that's probably the way it is, or that's the way it could be at the very least. And what these three things, by the way, I learned all this from Dan Owen uh, in his class, and you may have heard these things before and said, well, I heard that from somebody else, and that's fine. I'm not saying Dan invented them, but that's where I learned to, to approach Bible questions in this way. And especially, though, these two and three reminds me of how much grace that we need to show each other when it comes to category number two and three. Are you with me? Now, category one, things that we can book chapter and verse, God said what He says, and that's all there is to it. But on things that I think and things that I don't know, and you have different opinions than me, we need to remember their opinions and show some grace to each other and not make those areas that we're drawing lines of fellowship with. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, so category, I mean, uh, ground rule number two, rather, is that the Bible's where we must go to get all of our answers to Bible questions. It is the authority. Okay, so when we have a question pertaining to something to do with the Bible, or something to do with spiritual things, or something to do with our, our life, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, the first source that we must go to is God's Word. And now when we get there, we may find that this is a Category 2 hurricane, and we don't know, you know, there's, He didn't really tell us that, but that's got to be our first place we go, and then we can go ask people that, that we, you know, uh, value their opinion, that we know are godly spiritual people, we can talk to others, we can research it and whatnot, but the Bible needs to be our first resource we go to, and then it needs to be the final resource we go to, because after we've collected the opinions and the thoughts of others, we can go back and make sure what they said lined up with the things that we can book chapter and verse or we go back and say Brett's opinion was this and Tyler's opinion was this and those are good opinions but ultimately this is a thing we don't know. So I'm not going to bind what, what Brett said and I'm not going to say Tyler's not one of us because he doesn't have the same opinion over things we don't know or things we think. Are you with me? That's especially important I think when we think about the question we're going to today. Because when you look in Bible examples, one of my favorite things to study in the Bible are questions in the Bible. I love to see the questions that people ask. I really love to, to study the questions that God asks people because God's not asking to get information. He's, he's trying to figure out what gets you to think about something. But when we think about uh, some of the ways that people ask questions, you think about all the times the scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, came to Jesus and they had a question. And there's a few times that they came to Jesus asking Him a question because they wanted to know. But the majority of times, they're either looking for affirmation not information. We do that, don't we? I ask a question, Brett, what do you think about so-and-so? Because I'm hoping Brett says, I agree with you, Corey. And then if Brett says, well, here's what, and it's different than me, I'm like, what does Brett know? You know. Tyler, what do you think about this? Well, I think that uh, quite the opposite of what you... Tyler doesn't know anything. You know, That's the way the scribes and the Pharisees would do. Or even more than that, sometimes they would go and ask questions to test Jesus or to trick Jesus or to make Jesus hurt His reputation. And people do that sometimes today. I was on a flight. Um, it's been now, uh, I don't know, Melody, about uh, five, six, seven years ago. We were flying from Tennessee to Orlando to go to Disney World. 
We have a family of five, so we fill up three and two-thirds. I mean, uh, three seats in one row and then two-thirds of another row. And, you know, you're always, if you're like us, you, you go kind of towards the back, and, uh, and the, Garrett and I would sit in the, the, the window seat and the aisle seat, and then we try to try to make ourselves look as big as we can, you know, and, and you don't make eye contact with anybody because you don't want anybody to sit that. So here comes a dude, and he, he wants to sit with us. So I slide over, and he sits down. We start, you know, kind of airplane small talk. Where are you going? Where'd you come from? And whatnot. He asked what I did for a living. I said, well, I'm a preacher. And I could tell by the smirk on his face, he didn't think much of that. And uh, he said, so do you like, do you like believe... All of it really happened that way? Or do you think it's just a, a collection of folk stories that have some good morals to it? I said, I believe every word is the exact word that God wanted, and it's 100% true. And he laughed, and he said, you know, I just can't believe in a magic book. Well, I'm sure when he got on that plane that morning, he wasn't expecting to be in a two-and-a-half-hour Bible study. N neither did I, but that's what we had. We didn't really study the Bible because he was an atheist, so we didn't study the Bible. But we, we studied about God all the way to Orlando. And, uh, but his whole deal was, I can't trust the Bible because it's made up kind of stuff. And so he would ask questions, and when I would answer it, he would kind of go, hmm. You know, so we need to check our hearts and make sure that when we ask a Bible question and we go into God's Word, are we willing to have our minds changed about some things? Are we, are we wanting to learn what God says? Are we wanting to confirm what I already thought? Are you with me? So that's what we want to do for the next few minutes uh, this, uh, this morning. All right, so let's define the term. We're talking about a miracle, and we need to define the term because uh, there's lots of people that call lots of things miracles. This is Miriam's definition in the dictionary of what a miracle is, and you'll notice it talks a lot about divine intervention or, or something of that nature. Basically, if you boil down what, what the definition in the dictionary of a miracle is, is that it's something that is done outside of the laws of nature. Right? And that's important, no, because we call a lot of things miracles. We'll call, uh, you know, that was a miracle comeback that uh, we, we uh, a few years ago, since Parker's here, I'll, I'll make him feel good about his Oklahoma Sooners. A few years ago, Oklahoma played at Tennessee, and they had like 27 players that were going to play in the NFL. We had about 18 guys that probably couldn't get a starting position on a high school team. But still, we were, I mean, we, we were blowing Oklahoma out. And and John, and I don't, I don't remember if Parker was there, but there were several, Oklahoma, John Arvin, several Oklahoma fans were there at our house watching it. And I'm just sitting in the chair calmly, and John's like, like, it's okay to be happy. You can celebrate. You know, I, I won't take offense. And I'm like, oh, we're going to lose. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, no way. He said, it's, you're just trying to not hurt my... F I said, no, we're going to lose. Well, they ended up coming back and beating us in overtime. And, uh, you know, it's easy to look at that and say, well, what a miracle comeback. Some of the, the headlines the next day, miracle comeback by Oklahoma. But was it really a miracle? A miracle comeback in a ball game happens because someone hits a, a one in five hundred shot from half court, or or someone uh, uh, that you know is batting one thirty three hits a, a grand slam in the twelfth inning to win a game. That's not a miracle, though. A miracle is not something that happens one out of five hundred times. A miracle is something that happens zero out of five hundred times. Are you with me? 
It's something that, you know, well, sometimes I hear people say, uh, you know, when my child was born, it's, it's just the miracle of, of childbirth. Well, it's not a miracle. It literally happens every day at the hospital. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's the way God set up nature. So we call things miracles sometimes that are not miracles. So for our defining our terms, for our discussion this morning, we're talking about things that are done outside of the laws of nature. Are you with me? All right. There's a couple of words that are used, actually about three words that are used in the New Testament that you'll see repeated talking about miracles. Uh, this first one is a word, it's a Greek word that, uh, that means signs. And so they translated it signs. So that was pretty good, right? So this is an idea that, that uh, every time you see signs in the New Testament, it's not necessarily uh, a miracle. Uh, for example, in the Gospel of John, there's several times where there's something that happens that's not miraculous. It doesn't define any laws of nature, but it's a sign in that it's showing you something else. But a lot of times it is used to talk about a miracle. And the miracles are there to show you something else. Okay, This other word that's translated miracles is a word that behind it is the idea of power. Okay, And so that would make sense because when you're doing a miracle, there's some power that's going on that's greater than anything that we can do on our own. Are you with me? There's another word, and you'll see it in some verses in a few minutes. Wonders uh, is sometimes referred to when talking about miracles. Uh, and that word comes from a word that just means to be amazed at something. So it's more really about the reaction that the miracle gets rather than the miracle itself. But when you see this word used over and over again, there's, there's all these evidences of miracles throughout the Bible. Uh, you know, you start with uh, in Genesis chapter 1 and you've got the creation of the world. You've got uh, Enoch's translation in Genesis 5. You've got the flood of Genesis 7. You've got the rainbow of Genesis 8. You've got the uh, confusion at Babel in Genesis 11. You've got Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed in Genesis 19. You've got Lot's wife in Genesis 19. You've got Abimelech's household and their infertility infertility in Genesis 20. Isaac's conception in Genesis 21. Hagar's well in Genesis 21. The burning bush in Exodus 3. Uh, Moses' rod in Exodus 4. Moses' hand in Exodus 4. That's just kind of a brief summary starting in Genesis 1 getting you barely into the second book and I probably left a few out of a few of the miracles that are there. I mean they're literally page to page you see miracles happening. And when you look at those miracles, what you'll notice, and this all comes from a, a tool in Logos Bible software called Miracles of the Bible, it depends on how you count it. I don't know that I necessarily agree with all the ways they count the miracles, but this kind of gives us some numbers to work off of. There's about 64 times when God Himself, God the Father, is credited with doing a miracle beginning in Genesis chapter 1 with creation and going to 2 Corinthians 12 with the thorn in the flesh that He gave to Paul. There's about 104 times that Jesus is credited with a miracle, beginning in Matthew chapter 4 when it says that He healed many, and going all the way to Acts chapter 9 when He uh, struck Saul blind on the road to Damascus. And then there's about 10 times where God the Spirit is credited with a miracle that He performs, beginning in Matthew chapter 1 with the conception of Jesus, and going all the way to Acts chapter 2 when He, I mean Acts chapter 8 when He snatches 
away Philip. So when we look at these numbers, you add them all up, you say, that's a lot of miracles that the Godhead has performed in the Bible, right? And and by the way, I'm pretty sure because the Bible wasn't written to be a complete and total history of all that's ever happened in the world. Probably more than that that just wasn't recorded for us. But this, this screen doesn't surprise us. Does it surprise you that God is doing miracles? Because God is deity, which means that He's outside of the confines, the rules of nature. Okay, so we're not surprised that God is doing uh, so many miracles. It's not until you get to Exodus chapter 7 that you see the first time that a man performs a miracle. Or better said, that God performs a miracle through a man. God is preparing Moses and Aaron to go and talk to Pharaoh. And He's telling them what's going to happen. He says, when you get there, Pharaoh's going to ask for a sign to prove who you are. He's going to ask for you to perform a miracle to prove that you have credibility in the message that you're given. And He says, when that happens, He says, I want you to take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it'll turn into a serpent. Well, that's exactly what happened. Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, prove that that you have some legitimacy to what you're saying by providing a miracle. And they did exactly what God said. God performed a miracle through Moses and Aaron. Okay, But notice what... And if you go to Exodus 7 and you study the entire context, you see this. There's a couple of things that the text makes very clear. First of all, the text makes very clear that when Moses and Aaron are there before Pharaoh and and they cast that uh, the next hour, by the way, uh, Tyler's teaching in the library, I think it is, about the plagues that God's going to bring down on Egypt. But what you see in Exodus chapter 7 is, is that, first of all, that Moses and Aaron didn't do that because Moses and Aaron were such good guys. It's not like Moses and Aaron had a had a meeting and said, I'll tell you what you do. You throw down your uh, rod and I think probably we can make that turn into a serpent. That wasn't the conversation that was had. It was God that did that. Are you with me? So God performed that miracle and the text makes that very clear, but He did so through Moses and Aaron. The second thing that the text makes very clear is the reason for it. It wasn't that God said, hey Moses, you really want to you really want to get old Pharaoh? Here's a gag we can play on it. No, the reason why they're to perform this miracle is to prove that they came from God. That the message that they were bringing came from God. And so what you really see if you boil it down is that there's really two categories of miracles. So you, you go back to that first uh, uh, screen that we had to tell the lessons, have miracles stopped? Well, we first got to think about what miracles are we talking about? Because there's a couple of categories of miracles. There are miracles performed by God through men, and there are miracles performed by part of the Godhead. There's actually a third category, and we'll talk about that in the lesson if we have time. But the idea that I want you to think about is that we're talking about miracles that are God-approved, that, that help God's kingdom, okay? And they fall into one of these two categories. Either God did it through men or God did it Himself. So let's examine both of those categories in that order. First of all, let's look at these miracles performed by God through men. And what you find each and every time 
is the same idea that we saw from the very first miracle that man performed in Exodus chapter 7. Notice in Mark chapter 16, this is at the end of Mark's Gospel, and he's kind of wrapping up what's going on up to this point and, and kind of giving you, this is his kind of summary of what all the book of Acts is about. He says, They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So guess what that verse tells us? It tells us two things. The same two things that Exodus 7 taught us is that the miracles that the apostles performed were not done because Peter uh, had the force. It wasn't because uh, his, uh, you know, he went into Jedi training and he could do something, you know, nothing of that nature. The miracles that the apostles performed was because the Lord worked through them. Are you with me? And the second thing Mark 16 tells us is that the reason why that the Lord performed these miracles through them is why? So it could confirm the message. Just like in Exodus 7 and every other passage we're going to talk about, and we're going to only look at a few. You can look at many more. But every time you see a miracle performed by God through men, it's God doing the miracle through the men. And it's always to, to prove that the man and or the message came from God. Alright? Are are, is it all that clear as mud? Let's, let's just pause for just a minute. D does everyone understand what we're talking about so far? Okay, that's the two things with these miracles. And that's important because of what we're going to get to here in just a minute, okay? And we'll tell you, tell you why this connects to uh, Corinthians as well. This is in Acts chapter 14 and verse 30. This is Paul and, and his buddies, and it says that they're remaining for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. And notice what it says. Who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So you have... Uh, apostles and prophets who are teaching God's message. They're speaking boldly for the Lord. And then notice what it says. Along with that preaching and teaching, there's the Lord bearing witness. How's He bearing witness? By allowing them to do these miracles, these wonders, and these signs. See, God's doing it. The Lord's doing it. But He's doing it through them. And He's doing it to confirm that what their uh, message they were preaching came from Him. Well, why is that important? If I'm preaching a lesson or teaching a lesson, you should never, are you with me? Never take my word for it. Okay? Because I'm just a guy. And I can be wrong. And never take Brett's word for it. And never take Parker's word for it. And I'm not slamming them because they would tell you the same thing. They don't want you to take their word for it. So how can you prove that what Brett or Parker or Corey is teaching comes from God? Well, you can open up your Bible and you can say, hey, this is where it says that. Corey taught the truth. Or this is where it says the opposite of that. Corey is a false teacher. <laughs> right? They didn't have the Bible completed, the New Testament completed to do that, so they had to, to rely on these signs to prove that it came from God. Acts chapter 14, I mean uh, Hebrews chapter 2 rather, says the same thing. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's talking about the gospel, the good news about Jesus that brings salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord. The Lord came preaching the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, and saying repent and have faith. It, it was Jesus that first began preaching the good news. 
And then it says, and it was attested, and that word means to confirm or establish. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness. Notice, by signs and wonders and various miracles. And if your Bible has something like the gifts of, it's probably in italics, which means it was added by the translators. But it's literally, and wonders and various miracles, and the Holy Spirit distribute according to His will. So you've got this, uh, the Hebrews writer telling you how this all came about was Jesus started preaching and He's preaching to a certain group of people and then the, that certain group of people went out and they started preaching the same message and how could we know they were preaching the same message? Because it was confirmed by God's bearing witness. How did He bear witness? Well, there's all these miracles and signs. And, you know, Mark Bassett doesn't have the power to, you know, do a miracle or a sign. So, you know, if he says this came from God, the only way one way to prove that. That's that's what, what's going on here. So you've got the same thing. Every one of these examples, you've got it's God doing the miracle and He's doing it to prove these men and this mission. Now this is what brings us to 1 Corinthians 13 and what ties it really to our lectureship this week, this uh, question that we're talking about. In 1 Corinthians 13, you probably know that as the chapter on love, but a little insight here, you may know this or you may not. Um, God didn't give us 1 Corinthians 13 to give us something to read at a wedding. Um, first, first, in fact, when I, before I performed Tyler and Natalie's wedding, I said, do you have any particular scriptures you want me to use? He said, just don't use 1 Corinthians 13. And I said, I won't. You know. So I used 1 Corinthians 13 just to make him mad. But, uh, but now what he's talking about in, in the bigger context is you've got one of the things that the church at Corinth was divided about was the fact that you know they're saying, well, I've got the gift of prophecy. Well, so what? I've got the gift of knowledge. Well, so what? I've got the gift of tongues. Well, so what? My gift is better than your gift. No, my gift's better than your gift. Nah, 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 nah. You know, that's the kind of silly arguments they're having. And Paul says, let me show you the gift that you ought to be wanting to have. And that's a gift that's not miraculous. It's the gift of love. And so he's describing love. But notice what he says in verse 8. Why is love greater than all the other miraculous gifts that they could have? Because love never ends. As for prophecies, that's one of those miracles, right? As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, speaking in tongues, which by the way was not just gibberish talk, that's somebody that's never studied a language standing up and speaking a language they've never studied. Okay, it says that will cease. As for knowledge, that's not just somebody that knows a lot. That's that's a I, I've really not studied this. There's no reason I should know this, but God gave me this level of knowledge. It will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. So what is the perfect? Well, in James chapter one and verse twenty-five, he tells us what the perfect is. It's the perfect law of liberty. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he says that God's Word is able to make us complete or perfect. See, we've been saying all along that the reason why God was performing miracles through men is to show that their message and those men came from God. 
But, but Paul's saying there's going to be a time that's coming. He says right now we speak as a child. We don't know everything. Uh, he says it's like looking in a mirror and their mirror wasn't like a mirror that we have today. They would take a piece of brass and try to make it as, as shiny and as, as, uh, as uh, uh, straight as they could. But it was, all, it was kind of like trying to... Uh, young ladies, if you went out to look in the, the reflection of a car door and tried to put on your makeup and do your hair, you probably would come in and look at a real mirror and say, whoa, what was going on there? You know. Well, that's the idea here. Is we're not seeing very clearly, but one day we're going to see clearly. One day I'm going to have the knowledge that I need. When's that going to happen? When the perfect comes. When all of God's Word has been completed or written. Okay? So at that point, then we don't need miracles. Right? At that point, Brett can take his Bible and open it up and say, Corey taught the truth or Corey taught false doctrine. But the, up until that point, they could not. So what do I know? I know that God performed miracles through men to confirm the Word. And I know that there was going to come a time when the, the prophecies and the knowledge and the tongues were going to be ended because God's Word was going to be completed. And I, I think that I can show that by principle that all those other miraculous works that God was doing through men are going to be done away with. So let's look at the second category of miracles. And that's the miracles as, that are performed by part of the Godhead. This is Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And in context, he's talking about how that the Holy Spirit causes all things to work together. He says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I'll readily admit this is maybe one of the most misunderstood and confusing verses in the Bible. Because a lot of people use it to say that, you know, if you believe in God, He's just going to make everything good happen for you. That's not really what He's saying. What He's saying is that the Spirit is going to make, as, as you go through ups and downs, good and bad, God's going to use those situations and those things to bring about good, to bring about His will, to accomplish what He wants to do. God is a God that didn't just kick off everything and sit back and say, let's see where it goes. God is a God that has always been working, been working and working for the good of His people. So the question is, is He still working? Well, notice what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, it says, And God is able to make, that's present tense, is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. So God's still working. At present tense, He says God is able to give you the grace you need to do the things that's going to accomplish His will. Over in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Note the key word in there is every need. Not every want. But every need. God's going, to, He's still working. Present tense, God will supply. Future tense, God will supply every need of yours. So God is working. God will work for your good in accomplishing His will. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. And in context, all these things is food and clothing. 
It's the necessities of life on this earth. A divine promise that if you seek God's rule and reign, you'll have what you need to survive on this planet. Now, you may not have the biggest uh, house, you may not have the newest, fanciest car, but you'll have what you need. And then, uh, if, if you think about it, we show in our prayer life that we believe that God's still working, don't we? I mean, if we find out that Mr. Smith has stage 5 terminal cancer, what do we pray for Mr. Smith? We don't pray, well, Lord, take him home quickly. What do we pray? We say, Lord, heal his cancer. Lord, take away his cancer. We want him to be healthy. What are we asking God for? The doctors say it's stage 5 terminal cancer. There's nothing can be done. And we're asking God, we want something. We want you to, to outside of nature do some things to help. And, and that's not necessarily wrong. Um, you know, when we go on a vacation, some of you that traveled here from out of town, uh, maybe you said a prayer. We Every time we go on a trip we, in our vehicle, we all hold hands right before we pull out of the driveway. We hold hands and we say a prayer. We're on the plane the other day. We reach across the aisle. We hold our hands and say pr a prayer. And we ask God for what? Safe travels. Safe travels to protect us. What are we asking Him to do? We're asking for some divine protection, aren't we? We're wanting God to work on our behalf. And biblically, that's something God tells us to do. In James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, the, the writer of James tells us that that's what we should pray for, is to God to be involved in our everyday lives and activities. He says that if anybody's suffering, let them pray. He says if anyone is sick, to call the church elders and let them pray. And then in verse 15 here, he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then, um, if you look on down in verse 16, the conclusion that James gives you is uh, why should we do that? He says, therefore, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So James's conclusion is that we should pray. Why? Because the prayer of a righteous person has great results. It, it works. Now, it would be maybe a little bit more, or less confusing rather, it'd be a little less confusing if the word here for, for healing was spiritual healing. But it's not. It's a word for physical healing. And beyond that, then, in the next few verses, he gives us a physical example. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. He was a man. He was not deity. And he prayed, and what happened? It stopped raining. He prayed, and God answered with a physical blessing in a miraculous way. And then he says, Elijah prayed again, and it started raining again. Just a regular guy prays a prayer. And God goes into action. And so in the context of praying for the sick, the sick, James writes that a man of God praying to God and the Almighty works a miracle, that same man prayed again and God worked another miracle. So here's what I know. What I know is that God has always worked in the events of the world for the good of His people. He's performed miracles to answer prayers among other things. Okay, 
And I know He does not make us do anything outside of our own free will. I know that. Here's what I do not know. Did God stop doing that? Because what I can't find is I can't find a verse that says that God quit working in, in big ways in our lives. I can't find a verse that says God did all this for all these years and then about 150 A.D. He says, all right, I'm going on vacation. I don't find that. And the Bible just doesn't say. So it's one of those things that I don't know. And by the way, if you meet anybody that says, I can tell you exactly how God works, I would run as fast as I could in the opposite direction because His ways are above our ways. Uh, one of the, the scriptures that uh, uh, Dan pointed out today from the beginning of 1 Corinthians is that the wisdom of God, I mean the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We can know some things about God, but, but absolutely explaining how He works and how He does, I don't know. And because I don't know, then I'd rather give him too much credit. It's not enough. So the principles, here's what I think. The principles of the Bible tells me that he still loves and cares for his people. I know that. And the principles of the Bible tells me that he's still working in our lives. How? I don't know. So when my wife, Melody, she's the really pretty girl over here in the orange. When my wife was diagnosed with stage 2 melanoma, I did the worst thing you can do, and I got online to see what's melanoma exactly. What does that mean? And if you look up stage two melanoma, it's it's a pretty bleak picture that it paints. And so I'm praying every day. And our doctors at the Rocky Mountain Cancer Center, they're telling us about, you know, here's the possibilities. Here's what it may look like. Here's the treatments that we may have to go. Here's maybe what will happen in the future as this spreads. And I'm praying every day, earnestly as I can. And the doctors performed a surgery, and they removed that mass, and they removed a bunch of uh, lymph nodes, and they came back and they said, we can't believe it. It hadn't spread anywhere. And she's fine, and she doesn't have to have any treatments. And she went for two years, every three months to see the doctor, and after that, up till now, every six months to see the doctor. Nothing else has happened. And I will readily admit, we may have just had really good doctors and been really fortunate. But I prayed to God to take care of my wife, and my wife was taken care of. So you know what I did? I gave Him the credit, and I surely thanked Him for it. And when I pray to God, and we do pray to God for Him to work in big ways, we give Him the credit. And when our prayers aren't answered the way that we want them to be, we trust that He knows best. So as we think about this idea, one more thing that we need to think about is that by saying all this, we need to be aware that God is not a genie in a bottle. We can't just go to Him and say, here's what I want, you know, I'll rub my Bible and you're going to grab me th grant me three wishes. That's not the way it works. We, we give God glory and praise when we have blessings and we trust Him when things don't work out like we want. 
because he sees the big picture. That was the point in the book of Job. Was You get to the end of the book and, and he's telling Job, he's saying, you, you're seeing this much of the totality of what I'm in charge of. I'm dealing with all of this. And Job, you can't see what all your suffering is going to, how it's going to help other people throughout the years. So I ask him to do and work in my life. I lay all my cares and burdens before him like he asks. Uh, a lot of times, like with Melody, I'm like that persistent widow in, in uh, Luke chapter 18 and that I'm, I am just wearing Him out. Not that I can really wear out God and not that God minds you going back to Him. But in my mind, I'm wearing God out with my prayers. And then I trust that He's going to do what is best. Now, there's a bonus category I told you about. All the things we've talked about is those miraculous things that, that might happen uh, that helps God's will. So miracles performed by God through men, we talked about those, are, those days are done because they had the purpose of, of confirming the man and the message came from God. The miracles performed by God, we talked about how the God has used that in the past. Not really sure how He works now. The bonus category is sometimes you're going to talk to people, your friends, your classmates, maybe some of your family members, and they're going to talk about, they're going to say, well, I know. God did a miracle. Or you're going to hear someone say, well, listen, I know God spoke to me. Or I know God gave me this message. Or I can, uh, I can, I know that I can perform this miracle or that miracle. And you may find it unproductive to argue with people that really believe something like that and tell them that no, that didn't happen. They're going to say, well, you just don't know what I know. But here's in this bonus category, I want us to consider the what if. So, and this is the Parker, I'm, I'm studying with Parker, and Parker's saying, Look, my preacher, I know, he, he, he says he's done miracles, and I've seen some, some, some things I can't explain. I know he did that. All right? So, what if, Parker, your, your pastor did do something miraculous? What if that did happen that way? This is Deuteronomy chapter 13. And I want you to notice what it says. He says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that, you, that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let's go after other gods which you've not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is telling Testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. What's he saying? He's saying there may be someone, this is in the days of Moses, there may be someone that comes along that actually performs a miracle. But once he performs that miracle, then he teaches you to do something that doesn't line up with what God's Word says. Well, guess what? He's not doing that miracle by the power of God. And you see that even in the days of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about the day of judgment. He says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in Your name? That's a miracle. Cast out demons in Your name? That's a miracle. Do mighty works in Your name? That's miracles. And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of unrighteousness. There's going to be some guys that are going to do some miraculous things. Jesus never says, No, you didn't really do those things. He just says you're doing them, but you're teaching and practicing things that are contrary to my will. 
And he warns the disciples that that was going to happen in Matthew chapter 24. That after my, my passing, there's going to be people arise and say that they're the Christ, that they're going to perform great signs. But they're going to teach something different than I teach, so don't believe them. See, what if someone does something? What if someone, I don't know, I'm not saying that they do. I'm saying if you're talking to someone and they say, yeah, but I know. All right, so let's go down that road. He performed a miracle. What does he teach about the way the church is to be organized? What does he teach about worship? What does he teach about what it takes to become a child of God? He can do all kinds of miracles. But if he's not teaching, because we have the Word to look at, if he's not teaching what God's Word says, then we're not going to follow him. When you think about what Ephesians chapter 3 tells us, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here's what I know God's not performed miracles through men today. Here's what I know God still loves you and He wants you to lean on Him and He wants to take care of you. How does He work? I don't know. But I'm sure glad He's there. And I'm glad He's working in our lives. And I'm glad we can trust and know that. And my time just ended. So thank you for your attention.